Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 475, air date November 5th, 2019. I represent the future and I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Shiva. All right, we have a great group of people here. And, uh, you know, when we did our campaign last year, Mike was saying we need more women to join the campaign. And, and, and what's happened since we really started talking more about the health issues, which is one of my passions, um, and particularly addressing the issue with um, the fact that there's very little work done on vaccine safety, um, uh, it's really brought a lot of people together, regardless of whether they're Republican or Democrat, because people are starting to recognize that the establishment doesn't really want to solve any problems. They're part of an aristocracy, and the center of that is Massachusetts. So we have a big, big point. You know, we have a big opportunity here. But what I want to talk about today is why I'm running, uh, why you're here, which I think, which I want to, which I want to make an assumption of, which I think is what attracts many people to our campaign, and that I'm one of you, and I'll, I'm going to win for you. That's really the core of this campaign. And, and the fundamental. Thank you. Uh, the core of this campaign is that people have not had any representation. They've had glimpses of it, but they've never had someone like you, you know, actually go to Washington to represent you, actually fight for you, because most of these people are not one of us. They're not one of you. You know, Joe Kennedy has nothing to do with us. He knows very little about what it means to be a working person. So the way he creates that fiction is he has to go to a homeless shelter and he has to take pictures with poor white people, poor black people, looking as though he cares about them. So what they do is they have a team of people who actually create these people, right? Because they're not, they're actually not real. And so when we started our campaign, we had a lot of people coming to us and saying, well, Shiva, you're too aggressive. You need to be like this, or you need to mellow this down. Don't tweet this, etc." right? And these people have nothing to do with everyday people, because everyday people we appreciate who we are. We may be brash, we may not be perfect, right? We don't have everyone massaging the edges about us, right? Because we don't have time to be polished like they do, right? They have a lot of time to get polished and made up, and that process is what is changing in this country. The Trump election, the win, for, whether forget whether you like Trump or not, the real victory of Trump was that everyone in this country knew that both parties... The Republican establishment and the Democratic establishment were not serving the working people anymore. Right. That's what really happened, right? They weren't serving you, they weren't serving me, they weren't serving anyone. And that is what awoke people, and that awakening took place because people were very angry at the fact that both elites on the East Coast and West Coast were addressing issues uh, that had nothing to do with everyday people, right? And, and the majority of people in this country were essentially being decimated by high taxes, crumbling infrastructure, you know, massive corruption, high opioid addiction, the fact that their kids in massive amounts of debt are not getting any skills, that the healthcare system is bloated with a lot of middlemen in the, in, in, in the mid, middle of it, and people talking about free stuff all the time. And, you know, when we come back, you know, on Twitter and we come back, I'm going to do a very simple uh, talk on how the economy works. In five to ten minutes, everyone in this room and everyone listening is going to understand what is the economy and how it works. They make the economy so difficult to understand um, that no one even knows what's going on and where our priorities should be. So we're going to talk about that. But what I want to really share with you is the fundamental thing that binds everyone in this room. All of us, from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, what are we doing? 
we all have to uh, figure out a problem, right? Like what's the problem? You know, my journey it has been that of a scientist, you know, an inventor and a fighter. What does a scientist fundamentally do? A scientist is all about, and we're all scientists, by the way. If, if, if you truly uh, are truthful about it, you look at a situation and you're trying to figure out what is not working here. What's the problem, right? A scientist tries to expose truth and tries to find the problem. Agree? That's what science is all about. You make an observation, an apple falls from the tree, and you're trying to figure out uh, you know, how that happened, right? That's what science is about. And you go into that knowing that you may not know it, you may not get it right, that you may have to iterate. Once you find what that problem is, the inventor, the innovator in us, and by the way, innovation is in everyone's DNA in this room. You don't need to go to MIT, you don't need to go to Silicon Valley to solve a problem. Once you understand that problem, you come up with a solution. That's what an inventor and innovator does. But it doesn't end there. You can't just be someone who finds a problem, someone who com comes up with a solution, but you also have to fight to see the implementation of that solution. That's the fighter. And I've had to do that my entire life, and you've had to do that. All of us in this room have had to be scientists, we've had to be inventors, and we had to be fighters. That's what makes us a whole human being. The educational system tells some people to be scientists, other people to be, go creative and innovate, and other people to go be politicians, so-called fight. It's a completely fractured model. But the reality of being human is you have to be able to understand a problem, you have to be able to go figure out, innovate a solution, and you have to fight for it. You know, when I grew up in India, I, I, you know, and when I came here, I've had to do this on many areas. And I remember the first problem I had to solve was, um, you know, I went as a four-year-old kid, this was in India, and I had a friend, and I went to his home. His mother kept me out of the house. She wouldn't let me come in, called me a shudra, which is almost like the N-word in India, which I came to find out later, and gave me water in a water cup. Okay, it was a very, it was a very you know, the, the pain I felt being segregated, and it wasn't because of color, it wasn't because of anything but something called caste. Everyone heard of that? The caste system. The fact that some people thought that they were the aristocracy, that they knew better, and I was considered something beneath all of that. And so I went to my mom, and I, and I wanted to understand this problem. Right, so I asked my, my mom what this was about. She goes, oh, we're considered the lower caste. Our job is to go pick coconuts. That's what, and my mom said when she was a child, when she used to go to the well, they would chase her away like a pig. Okay, they would disperse her. So that's called the Indian caste system. Now my mother and my father were quite extraordinary people because they overcame that problem by getting educated. Because they realized the way out of that was to get educated. My mom is an eight-year-old kid, her father, ran off with the maid, and she became liberated long before women's liberation existed. She went and got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and there's a picture of this dark-skinned Indian woman among you know, 20 men, which was unthought of at that time. But what I learned, so what did, what did I learn from that? The solution was you have to get educated, and you have to work hard, and you have to work hard, and you have to work hard. My mother would say, it doesn't matter even if you get an A, you're gonna have to get an A plus. All right, so I learned what the problem was there, that there was this thing called the cash system. I learned that I had to innovate, make myself, which was to work hard. And then I learned that I had to fight. And when did I learn that? I remember in seventh grade, this was in, when I, you know, I first settled in Patterson and then in Clifton and Persephone, and I grew up in New Jersey and Livingston. The reason I give those names is all those schools were, uh, as you went up there, the property taxes increased and the school system got better. But when I was in seventh grade, I was the number one kid in class and the teacher would not let me take the chemistry exam to win an award. 
okay? And, I, and my parents went in there and they fought. They said, this sounds like we're back in India again. Because they did not want this new kid on the block winning. Because I went to a school where people thought certain people were better and we, me and my sister were the new kids. Anyway, I won, won, that, uh, won that exam and got the best chemistry student award. But I realized that, that that didn't change, right? When we ran for United States Senate here, and everyone knows this, nothing has changed. We figured out, okay, how do we get on the ballot? Mike and I figured out, okay, we gotta get so many signatures. And no one thought it was possible. And how did we innovate that? Michelle and Richard will talk about that. We actually went on the ground and we actually solved that problem. We organized a strategy. We didn't pay people. Every other campaign paid people. We figured out a sales model. We collected nearly 20,000 signatures. Unheard of in Massachusetts history. Everyone pays for those signatures. But even after we did that, even after we solved the problem and innovated, they didn't want to let us on the debate stage. So we had to fight. We had to fight a federal lawsuit. They tried to tell us that our, our bus could not have the thing, only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. The city, we fought that and we won. I'm telling you, this is, so you're looking at someone who's had to always, like you, figure out what the problem is, find a solution, and you have to fight for it. That's what this life is about. And anyone thinks you don't have to fight for anything is out of their mind. Right. Right? Right. right. And you have to fight for it. It's what people in power want to do is they want to teach us, they want to make us give our power to them, that someone right. else is going to fight for you. Bernie Sanders ain't going to fight for you. Come on. Right? That's right. He ain't going to fight for you. Elizabeth Warren ain't going to no. fight for you. None of these people are going to fight for you. What Donald Trump did, again, whether you like him or not, he threw a big bomb at this whole thing. Yeah. It's necessary to be done. Yeah. So it made it possible for someone like me to want to run and someone like you to have someone like me win for you. Right. That's what's happened right now. So we're at a very historic point, I would say in world, American, and Massachusetts history, because there's never been anyone like me running for this office. An untouchable kid from India, grew up in the working class neighborhoods in New Jersey, who went to MIT, got four degrees, knows how they operate, knows all their weaknesses, who's ever decided to run for office. And my running for office is not to be a senator for life. I've told this to everyone. I'm not only going to run for one term. It's a one-term thing. I, d I don't want to make this a career. I have other business. I have other jobs. There's other things I do. This is one term to go in there for six years, but to work 100%. Most senators who go in there, thank you. are going in there for six years, but they're working only 10% for you on a good day. If you go look at their schedules, yeah. you know what they're spending 90% of their time, if you actually look at their schedules, raising money, raising money, raising money, meeting with donors, building their influence, building their network, so they can build you know, a lot more capital. That's what they're doing, because none of these guys, except a few of them, actually have jobs. So they're not even working, you know, uh, so what's 10% of six years? What is that? 0.6 years. Think about it. They're not even working for you because they have other agendas. So it's time that we innovated in Massachusetts. This is supposed to be the center of innovation. This is where you know the Lexington took place, this is where Bunker Hill took place. This is supposedly where all the great innovation occurs. This is where great science occurs. So why not innovate something new? Why not innovate a representative like me who win for you? And you've never had that. I'm telling you, this is going to be a historic election, more important uh, without any exaggeration than the presidential election. 
Let me tell you why Massachusetts is a center either of truth, freedom, and health, or it's a center of power, profit, and control. And when the British and when the British lost here, they didn't simply get up and leave. Did they? They didn't get up and leave. After every revolution, there's always something called what? Do you know what it's called? It's called a counter-revolution. Every revolution, people think, oh, we won, that was it. No, the counter-revolution is actually much more bloody, much more insidious than the revolution. Those people who lost, the aristocracy, the monarchy, never left. Where did they go? They didn't go out west. They embedded themselves deeper here in Massachusetts. And I would argue they went way deep in here, and they've been running a counter-revolution for nearly 250 years. And that's why a Joe Kennedy thinks he should be a senator. Because he only has experience in name only. That's why a Markey thinks it's okay to be in there since 1876 or 1976. Right? Then he can keep continuing. That's why Elizabeth Warren thinks it's okay to, to lie and take a say that she was Native American and that she can get away with it because the aristocracy will protect her. By the way, Democrat and Republican establishment, both of them. When we announced we were running for U.S. Senate as a Republican, Bill Weld of that counter-revolutionary clan, he endorsed Joe Kennedy, a Democrat. Charlie Baker still hasn't even recognized us. He said, Ed Markey or Joe Kennedy will make great senators. Forget Shivaya Duray, who came here in 1981, who's a son of Massachusetts, who's worked his butt off, started seven companies, created thousands of jobs, millions in tax money. Forget about that guy. So what I'm trying to tell you is this election is about you standing up for yourself. I just happen to be the person who just showed up at this point in history to stand up along with you. That's all this is, but we have to engage people to start standing up for themselves. It's not, yes, there is a system, but there's also us where we need to start taking personal responsibility. Right. Right? It's about us. You know, we have a big, big opportunity in Massachusetts because a guy like me has all the degrees, has the MIT PhD. Can I just have that? The reason we put this MIT PhD on here is not to say I have an MIT PhD. I don't really care about that. But it's basically say, you know what? I know what you're about. Okay? And I'm coming after you. That's what it's about. Because they, they, don't want one of their own. they don't want one of their own ever being a traitor to them. They think, I'll fall in line. But I haven't. Okay? And I never will because... The line that they want us to follow is in many ways a dehumanizing line. And let me talk about that. You know, the ultimately the founders of this country had a very simple concept. Life, liberty, and what? Pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and, and that meant that there was you and there was a creator. Whatever way you want, we're not going to get into the, you know, let's assume at the end that you have a personal relationship with a creator. And the idea was anything between you and that creator should be removed. That you should have a direct personal relationship so you could pursue your dreams. You could pursue the essence of who you were, which was a spark of God. That was the essence of all of this, if you believe in that. That's what I believe. And the purpose of government, if there was a purpose, was to get out of the way so you could pursue that dream. Right? That's what pursuit of happiness meant. It didn't mean get drunk and get wasted. That's not what pursuit of happiness meant. It didn't. It meant that you would have some vision for yourself and you would pursue that. And the concept of government was to make it easier for anything to do that, right? And what it wasn't about a government which was going to give you free stuff. 
It wasn't about a government which was going to make you uh, dependent on itself, that it was going to take away your personal responsibility. It was was about a government that was going to enable you to become you. Does that make sense? It was about finding you to become you, right? And it was also recognizing that you were a unique you, that everyone in this room is different, and we each have very different ways that how we want to exhibit that difference. But what has happened is that there's been a, 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 a movement that has taken away that concept and has been led by the aristocracy, the same aristocracy, we used to call it in India the Brahmins, okay? In, in Boston, I think they call them the Boston Brahmins, right? And the same East India Company, which was in India, was the same East India Company that was here. It's no coincidence. That aristocracy is, was the, the, you know, the monarch, but above the monarchs, there was someone else that we forgot about, what I call the priesthood, in double quotes, or the academics. Okay, the people who wrote stuff, the scribes. Remember the movie Moses? Let it be said, let it be written. The guys were writing everything down. They were the priesthood, quote-unquote priesthood, who thought that they were better than everyone. The center of that priesthood is Massachusetts. It's, and the longitude and the latitude, if you believe there's a deep state, I can tell you what the longitude and the latitude is. It's the line between MIT and Harvard and the one-mile radius around it. That's where it is. Every major economic collapse in the world can be traced to some professor in one of those institutions. It can be. Every major economic collapse. There's, it's not coincidental that Jeffrey Epstein was over there. Think about it. The decadence of those institutions. He funded them. He was there. He got... And he brought in many people like Bill Gates, who has a half a million shares in Monsanto, or did still, promotes uh, science, which is half-baked, the concept of vaccine safety, promotes genetically engineered foods, and you can go down the list. So what has happened is that science has been compromised. And I know about this because you're looking at a scientist. And this is extremely important for us to understand because what was science about? What was it, what was it about? Pursuit of truth. It was about the pursuit of truth. And the way you pursued truth was you had open discourse, debate. We vigorously fought things out. It was not about uh, stopping certain lines of thinking. Open debate on all things. And when you had freedom, then you could explore you know, how life operated. You could explore the mysteries of the universe. And then out of that, you came to do real science, which is called the scientific method. And in that process, it didn't matter if 99 out of 100 people thought the sun went around the earth. But if one guy had data showing the earth went around the sun, that's what wins. It wasn't scientific consensus. You've heard that word? Scientific consensus is nowhere in the pursuit of truth. Okay? So we have had scientific consensus now become the order of the day at places like MIT and Harvard, which are here, right in Massachusetts, which not only govern science in Massachusetts, but the nation and throughout the world. The policies that come out of those two institutions go worldwide. They affect billions of people's lives. Think about that. Think about that. And that's where we are. We have a huge opportunity. When you look at the fact that climate change If you look at any of the major issues of our time, gun violence, immigration, uh, we're talking abortion, all of these issues, if you go even take a scientific perspective, the truth reveals itself. So they don't even want to pursue anything having to do with truth. It's all about what someone thinks, which is what the aristocracy thinks, not what truth is. Okay? It has nothing to do with truth anymore. So you have fake problems being created from fake science. And then from that, the next process that they do is they take that and they innovate fake solutions. So it's not even innovation. 
right? It's a dehumanized form of innovation. And in that process, they also tell you something else, that you're not an inventor. Only we can in innovate, right? Only we can do science. That a 14-year-old kid from Newark, New Jersey could never be the inventor of email. That's where that comes from. That's where that narrative comes from. It's not about the fact that I invented email, which we will always talk about on this campaign. <laughs> we will put it front and center because it talks about the fact that who are the inventors, who are the innovators, who are the creators, people in this room, who've been denied that opportunity by a few set of people who choke innovation. That's why within the one mile radius around Kendall Square where there's supposed to be all this innovation, you have devastation. You have massive income inequality. And this is a feature of modern day innovation systems where they put all this energy to create these little innovation hubs and around it you have homeless, homelessness like in San Francisco. You have people, whatever, defecating on the street. This is, this is their concept of innovation for the elites and everyone else is dumb and stupid. That's why the invention of email story is so powerful because it shows that invention can occur anytime, any place, by anybody, <coughs> everywhere. And that's supposed to be something humanizing. The last part of this is health. You know, real health comes from when we solve a real problem, you know, and we address it with a real solution. So when you look at all these issues, part of what we're gonna be talking about this campaign, and we want everyone here to get educated, is that how do you actually go through this process? And we want to educate people. We're not going to rebuke, we're not going to treat people like cattle on this campaign. I believe everyone is really smart and everyone can learn and they want to learn. We're not going to reduce something to one line sound bites. So when we do this drawing later on today, we're, we want everyone in this room to be armed. I don't know if you saw that climate change video. It's gone out to a million people, guys. In that little pencil sketch, you know, a million people have been educated how they're being scammed by the climate change hoax. In that little pencil sketch we did, every parent can understand how the college loan situation places their kids as collateral to be used by Wall Street and these big institutions to use their children as basically collateral so they can go invest on Wall Street. No one's ever talked about this, have they? No one's ever shared with people beyond left and right how things actually work. So part of this campaign is we're going to educate everyone on two important aspects of how the world works, reductionism. It's a big word, or system thinking. The simplest way to think about it is, you have a big elephant, which is the truth, and people are touching it pieces of it, the parts. So whenever someone tries to reduce a very complex thing to one variable, you know they're up to something, like antibodies. The whole vaccine problem, you know, I'm gonna be giving a talk on this, the modern fear of the immune system. Our immune system is a very complex thing. To say that I'm gonna give you a vaccine and measure how many antibodies you have, therefore it succeeded, that's fake science. And it's happening here every day, but no one challenges them because they all get money from them. Every scientist now gets paid off. But you have someone in me who will call them out and will go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Climate change, you take this very complex system and you reduce it to one variable, CO2. You see where this is all going? They take complex systems and reduce it to one thing, and the next process they do is divide us into left and right, pro-vax, anti-vax, pro-climate, anti-climate, you see what I'm saying? They never address any, any problems. And the politicians are just puppets who just follow along. And, and get that's, paid. what's that? And get paid. And get paid. Yeah. Yeah, so AOC knows what she's doing. Whatever, she's a puppet, okay? The real issue is that we have an opportunity to have 3,000, 10,000 people on the ground who can talk to people. And we're gonna create a support system through videos to short things to enable you to do that. 
So this campaign is going to be a Massachusetts campaign. This is not going to be a campaign of consultants coming here, telling us, do this, do this, you know, don't do this. No, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do what we want to do our way, and that's how we're going to win. Come There's on. no other way to win. We got 100,000 votes. Those 100,000 people who voted for us, in spite of the fact, got over the lesser of two evils. They got over smear stuff they did. There's 100,000 people at minimum who got it and more. So how are we going to win this campaign? We're going to win it the good old-fashioned American way, which is hard work and get on the ground, talk to our neighbors, and that's how we're going to win. We're going to go, because that's the only way to win. The ends do not justify the means, right? That's their model. We're going to win the means. Is that? It's a nice sound. We're, we're going to follow the right means to this. So um, I'm going to bring Michelle and Richard up here shortly, but this campaign is going to be based on learn, teach, and serve. Right? You're going to learn, you're going to teach people, and you're going to be of service. That's how we're going to win. Learn, teach, and serve. Everyone get it? Yeah. Everyone here is going to be a teacher, okay? It's not going to be Shiva, Aya, Dure, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be all of you, and we're all going to win this together. It's the only way to win. There's no other way. And so we want to innovate in Massachusetts. We want to innovate this, this, this election. We're going to do something they don't even know what the hell happened. Okay? That's what we want to do. So there's three things we want volunteers to do. Number one, we have these little business cards. Pass them out. Have conversations with people. You know, uh, talk to people. You know, you can do it at a shopping store or you can do it in your family. So we want to give you a little business card, but it's a conversation opener. Um, we are using social media for better or worse, right? If, you, if you're on any of these platforms, you see our stuff, retweet it out, okay? The third thing is, you know, signature time's gonna come. Uh, the process of getting signatures is not, we, most campaigns just pay people, but the process of getting signatures is to get on the ballot. We have 84 days, right, Mike? To get on the ballot. It's much even less than as an independent. We had like, I think a little more, like 30 more days, right? So in a period of 84 days, we're gonna collect around 40,000 signatures to be safe. Last year we had what? 10 people, Mike, who collected around 2,000, 4,000 signatures in the rain and the snow. This time we're gonna have 200 people collecting around 200, 300 signatures. And it's pretty easy, as, as we'll show shortly. But this is about building a movement on the ground where everyone feels inspired, excited that they did it. It wasn't someone else did it for them. For far too long in this country, we've made people think that someone else is gonna do stuff for you. It's not how it works. We have to do stuff for ourselves, and that's how you become a full human being, okay? So our campaign's gonna be about truth, freedom, and health, and we're gonna fight uh, power, profit, and control. Massachusetts has the opportunity to be the light it has the opportunity to lead all of us to the truth, or it can head to the, a system of darkness. So we're in a 2020 election, mark my words, will go down in history yep. as one of the most important elections in history. Absolutely. Definitely, right? And, and all of us can be a part of it. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we're here in this room together, that my parents left India, that I ended up in Massachusetts. I didn't even want to come to MIT, but I get, came here begrudgingly, okay? Mm -hmm. 
So I'm here, you're here, we deserve to win for all of us. And for B was just up here, she's the future. Yeah. Right? So we need to win it for our future, for America, but most importantly, for something beyond all of this, because this country was created on some very fundamental principles which went beyond all of us. Yeah. Right? It, it believed in, the, in something beyond all of us, mm -hmm. and that we die and we leave this planet one day, and it's what we leave that matters. Right? What we do does echo into history. So thank you. Wow. 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 All right. Thanks, Alan. All right. So what we're